0: Hey everybody how's it going happy friday to you it's ryan and chris marshall i uh, hope you're having a great week thank you for listening to Alumless. Alumless is a chris marshall advancement consulting production on the show we discuss alumni and donor engagement and other trends in university advancement and thanks to our listeners for making alumnus part of your work routine I just wanted to mention before we actually get started that we just had a huge hurricane blow through Florida this week. And so I've been thinking about our listeners at universities in Florida and up the mid-Atlantic today. Uh, So our thoughts go out to you. And um, uh, thanks uh, for making time for listening. And uh, uh, we're broadcasting live at this moment. Uh, Every other Friday at 1130 a.m. We try to be live and uh, we often get uh, an energetic discussion going in the chat section Uh, here in the StreamYard interface, which we can see. But on LinkedIn, if you're able to put a comment in, let us know you're listening, uh, where you're from, what school you work for. uh, And of course, ask questions to Chris and I, but even more importantly, ask questions to our special guest today, Teresa Trombetta from Carnegie Mellon Mellon University, who we'll introduce in just a few minutes. Uh, If you can't get to the question, uh, we don't get to your question on the LinkedIn live show, we'll be sure to try to answer that question in the follow-up 30-minute bonus segments that you can hear on our podcast. All right. Uh, I think that's enough preamble. Chris, how's it going?
1: Oh, good. Good. Busy week, uh, but uh, all good here in, in yeah. Eastern PA so far.
0: <laughs> you were just saying you were going to three, you've been to like a wedding in uh, you know, a sort of <laughs> cluster of weddings have popped up yeah. on your calendars, and they haven't been there in years. So that yeah, was it's been
1: a long time, and all of a sudden, three of them in a month. So thus, I'm leaving right after this. Hey, Keith, yeah. you saw you, so I just pop in there. Good to see you. And uh, So my week was, I was at the University of Delaware on Wednesday working on the strategic plan that they're putting together for alumni engagement. I was supposed to be at Rollins College yesterday and this morning down in Orlando, Florida. But of course, Ian had other ideas about it and i'll add my thoughts and prayers to the folks in florida maybe listening uh we have family down there we i had to send an old friend to their house because we couldn't get a hold of them to see if they were okay so it it was a tough day for those folks down there and i know they're going to be digging out for a while so my thoughts go out yeah
0: yeah many many months to restore some of that gulf coast area on florida but um well, on to alumni and donor engagement strategies, Chris. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about topics for today's show, and you know, we were thinking about the importance of alumni boards. We really hadn't explored the topic that much on the show yet. Um, what was the most colorful experience you've had working with alumni boards, or working with an alumni leader who's working with their alumni board? you know, as a client and trying to develop stronger connections.
1: You know, outside of you know, the top few things we do in consulting work in this space is strategic planning, program reviews, and, you know, that kind of generalized work. But the next one on the list is some type of board work. And it, sometimes it's a board intervention, frankly. Other times it's just, you know, fine tuning. And But the, the most um, poignant moment came, I won't name the client, but we were working with a a group of board members who just frankly didn't understand their role, what the role of that board was. Over the years, it evolved into a mishmash of things. And so I said, let's ask them what they think. So we it was back in the day where you had those clickers where you can put a question up on the screen and you showed the five options and then people could click what they thought it was and it would show you in real time what the responses were. So I put up the question, what is the role of the blank university alumni board? And I put up five options. It was fiduciary, advisory, governance, management, honorary, I believe were the five. And as the people started clicking in the answers and everyone in the room could see what the answers were. And when it was all done, my memory of it, of you know 40 people in the room, I think each answer had about eight responses. They were all even. You know, there was no that had real high and none that were you know zero. It was all over the map. And there was the silence in the room. And then somebody said, one of the board members said, well, there's our problem right there. I'll never <laughs> forget it. It was like uh, illustrated right there on the map in front of them, and it was uh, it, it got the pr- conversation started and, and and to the point where we changed and focused the role, and it was really helpful at the end yeah. of the day.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember you know um, my first experience leading an alumni board right was at Longwood University, and in my first board meeting, I was so excited about it, and um, you know they my predecessor had been there for forty one years, so I was brand new to it. And I remember bringing to the board meeting a request for some funding. Uh, And, you know, I was going to put on some career related programming and the board said no to the request that I had asked for. (laughs) And I got there was really no reason for it other than, you know, you haven't sort of proved yourself yet. Uh, And, you know, over the six years that I was working with the university, you know, it got my relationship with the board got better and better and better and better. But you really have to work at it, and yeah. in some circumstances, you know, it is definitely. Uh, it was one of the things that kept me up at night. Uh, yeah, I used to. Yeah. I think I downloaded the Headspace app on my phone originally <laughs> because so I could meditate. because the board was was, uh, you know, such a a challenging thing for me.
1: Did they have that fiduciary role at the time when when you asked them for that? That was their remit to. Approved. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, th- there was, but specifically, there was a sort of a pot of money, a fund yeah, that, it, yeah, that they specifically had, sort of, we'll say, squirreled away. Yeah. Uh And uh, as a result of some of the revenue streams that were coming
1: in, right. like credit cards and insurance. That's yep. so. not unusual to find that model where they're an advisory group with a small pot of fiduciary role, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, it was stressful, and I know you know it's stressful for a lot of folks out there. I, I think you know it's not uncommon, yep. right? As you said, for folks to. Yep. Uh, seek us out for that. But we have a great guest to talk to you today about alumni board management and uh, all lots of other types of volunteer management, as well as other topics more broadly. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring her in to the stream. Hey, Teresa, how's it going? Hi,
2: Hi Ryan and Chris. Good to <laughs> see you both.
1: Teresa, thank you for being here
0: thrilled to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, Teresa Trombetta is the assistant vice president for alumni constituent engagement at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, PA. Um, Lovely to have you on the show. Happy Friday. I know this is a busy time of year at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, What's hot on your plate today as you are sitting here on this Friday? What's coming up this weekend?
2: Well, um, for our team, the biggest thing happening right now is a big celebration with our College of Fine Arts. So they have been celebrating a number of gifts, welcoming, although she's been here for a while, a new dean and department head. So we're, we are we action-packed with College of Fine Arts events over these uh, few days. But um, wrapping that up at the end of the day and looking forward to the weekend for sure.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun, and um, mm-hmm. you know, College of Fine Arts
1: events typically are really good events, right? Yeah. What uh, I really love about Carnegie Mellon—they have that technical <laughs> reputation, but they have this College of Fine Arts where, you know, they corner the market at the Tony Awards because they, <laughs> they win everything. It feels like it's really a cool combination.
2: The best. The best.
0: Well Teresa, to pick up on our conversation about alumni boards, how would you describe your approach to building and strengthening the relationship you have and your team has with the alumni board there at Carnegie Mellon?
2: Well, I mean the first thing that comes to mind and I just love the fact that you said my team because that's one of the things that I actually shared with the board recently you know I think there's always I've worked with a lot of boards in my career and there it tends to be the dynamic of The board and the staff and the staff can have that connotation um that you know we all know but for me what i've shared with the board and shared with my team is that we're all a team together that we're all working together working toward the same goals and and i think just even setting that standard is is a message for moving forward Um, i mean with that though i will say that that my other approach certainly is um, you know, the the adage of all people are different people applies. And so I really like to to take my time to get to know the folks on the board, get to understand who I'm working with and, and what their motivations are, quite frankly, and what, what gets them excited about being part of it.
1: That was one of the you- things that impressed me, Teresa, when we were working, you took time to go one-on-one kind of coming out of the pandemic either by Zoom or in person, if are able to, with each of your board members. That's a pretty big group, right? We're talking about 30 people, right?
2: About 23, 23.
1: 23 okay. than,
2: yeah, we can yeah. round up, yeah.
0: <laughs> I suppose technically it's a round down. I've got little kids, and so we were doing some you know, math there. But um, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, great, and I think you know, um, bringing folks along and expressing that idea of it's a whole team event, Right. Uh, a whole team ball game. When the alumni shop is working with the alumni board, everyone's on the same team. It's not us versus them. Sort of a critical narrative that you want to try to deliver from the onset. Right. Right. When someone joins the board from the first time and, re- and continue to reinforce that. Have you ever felt like you weren't on the same page with the uh, alumni volunteers you were working with there?
2: I mean, I, I don't know about not being on the same page, but but Chris Marshall knows that I uh, I started in this role right in the heat of the pandemic. And so when I came on board, it was a time when a lot of my message was, we have to stay for a group who so loves to be together and to celebrate CMU together and to come to campus. My constant message, you know, for the safety of our community had to be, no in person meeting. No in person meeting. No, you know. So so fortunately, I had I, I, the board that I work with gets it right. They get the fact that you know our the safety of our community would come first. But it's still not you know a a um, a fun message to have to deliver in in those first days, even in your role. But we got through it together, and I think you know came together even more because of it
0: it's really tough uh, i think a lot of relationships between alumni offices and their alumni boards suffered during the pandemic because it is such a powerful in-person experience uh-huh. yeah. that's just very difficult to replicate the, the camaraderie right that you can uh-huh. develop with the board you know socializing forget the meeting just for a moment right it's just being there together in the same physical place of all the engagement activities and you know, as i worked on it feels like the one that just sort of almost
1: necessitates being in person if, if possible right Absolutely. Um, when they came out of it ryan they did a i think it was the first de- first meeting you had coming out of the pandemic was a destination board meeting they went down mm-hmm. carnegie Mellon's in pittsburgh pennsylvania but they met in atlanta i got to be there for it and it was one of the most energizing board meetings i've ever been at Teresa, you did a great job know. you and chris putting that together
2: yeah chris Dangle, okay.
1: your your uh, board chair
2: that's right. That's right. Yeah, it was amazing to to finally come together as a group and um, and have that opportunity and to really see people in action and their excitement and engagement. You can't really replicate it on Zoom. Alas, we tried, but it was tough. Yeah.
1: The board chair, Chris Stengel, is a very dynamic guy, and he he said um, from the from the beginning, literally at the meeting, he said, "I want to make this meeting uh, worth it for you to have made the effort to come to Atlanta." And, you know, unanimous 23 for 23, people said, yeah, it was worth it. He did. He just did a great job of making it, mm-hmm. you know, focused on the work, but also had a lot of time where they had time to bond and have fun and just be together and socialize. So it's important, all those things. Yeah.
0: Um, Chris, you know, you've worked with a lot of, of partners in the higher ed space, interviewed a ton of alumni board volunteers over the years. You know, what are some of the traits of the best boards and maybe the best individual volunteers that you've worked with?
1: Yeah, it, it, I, I think it boils down to you, get, uh, you know, many of the institutions we work with, of course, I would say all have these really smart, dynamic and interesting people who are, are in important roles and leading things in their lives. So you, you put all those people together, you kind of have the cream, cream of the crop there. And the, the person who understands, so I think it boils down to this, the person who understands their role, the best. I call it the line between governance and management. And I I always think of it as a posture of the board. And if the board leans too far in and drives the staff nuts, it's not a good thing. And if the board leans too far back and doesn't do anything and gets fed once a year or twice a year coming to campus, that's not worth their time. So it's the art of volunteer management is keeping them in the middle. And the volunteer that understands that are the ones that are the most fun to work with, frankly, and have the most success in leading the board. the The other quote I often use here is, and it sort of describes that line and that posture, which is this. It's a, a good board should have their noses in, but their fingers out. It means that they should be aware of everything that's going on, but they shouldn't be in the muck with Teresa helping her figure out how to run the day to day operations. And when a board member is doing that, they're leaning too far in. They need to get their fingers out. And the, the leaders that can understand that line are the are the best ones to work with.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. We just started a project with uh, William and Mary, and it feels like their alumni board president, Anna Hatfield, is is exactly like that, right? Yep. Uh, sort of even get right it. down the middle, even keeled kind of gets it, not... And when, he, um, when
1: you meet an Anna or a Chris at Carnegie Mellon, you want to take them to the places where they're having problems with this and just say, go spend time with this person for a little while, understand the role, because <laughs> they clearly don't have that expertise.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Teresa, as you've been working with uh, the Carnegie Mellon alumni board, what moment over the last couple of years or moments, right, stands Mm -hmm. out as a time when you felt like things were really clicking? feels like that that Atlanta uh, meeting was a good one, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's actually an amazing example. And I can even point to a a very specific moment. And um, Chris Marshall knows how I feel about uh, icebreakers. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: it's not good. (laughs) We were forced upon her.
2: (laughs) But um, our past president, Chris Stengel, as we were planning this meeting, said, you know, I want to try something. It's a little unusual, um, but I just want to see if it'll work. And it was something called, I believe, Quaker Circles. But basically half of the group, the team and the board um, would sit in the outside circle and be silent. And half of the group would sit in the inside circle and they would, a question would be posed to them. And it, I forget the time, but you know, there are four minutes for people to reflect on that question. Nobody's called on, they just use their voice and, and share with the group. And if you sit in silence, you sit in silence, which is also, you know, for somebody like me, a terrifying prospect, but, um, but it really gave members of the board, after all this time being on Zoom, a chance to come together and reflect on, you know, why are we doing this? Why am I here? What do I see for the future of the board? And that was just one of those moments where, I mean, wow, you really see that these are amazing people who just really care deeply about the institution. And for me, that was just this moment of, oh, I love this work. I love these people. See, I just gave a shout out to a, an icebreaker, Chris. Did you ever think
1: I'm going to email Chris and let him know that you said that? <laughs> <laughs> I got to yeah. attend that. The, the, they did it at the end of the retreat as well, and I was there for that part. I got the witness to witness it. It was pretty powerful. It was a, yeah. a cathartic and cleansing kind of moment. It was really was mm-hmm. important.
0: Along the way, Teresa, had you received any advice? Obviously, you worked with Chris, so you received some, right? About uh, uh, working with alumni boards, but uh, of the alumni boards that you've that you've managed, you know, over the course of your career, what advice stands out? And what would you, what advice would you give to someone, you know, based on your experiences about uh, what are some best practices around board management?
2: I mean, early on. I feel like before my Carnegie Mellon days, you know, I, I had definitely heard from, from some mentors that you, you have to put the time in and you actually truly have to really love it. You know, you either love working with people and getting to know them as their whole selves or you don't. And, you know, those are, those are two things that have definitely stuck with me and, and always something that I carry with me. So, you know. If I were to give the same advice to people, it would probably be that, you know, you just, you have to put the time in, Um, anything worth doing, you know, that's just essential to it. And then I think again, just being really curious about the people who you're working with and getting to know them, because there are a lot of different motivations for why folks come on to the board. And I, I don't think that there's necessarily anyone correct motivation Um, but if you don't understand those, you're never going to kind of come together in the right way. Um, and Chris knows too, I guess I would also say when it comes to strategic planning, it was really important to me as I developed a plan for the team that, that that was a shared plan with the board. It was ours together. Um, they gave me the ability to kind of go forth and, and put something on paper but then I shared it with them and we worked through it together. We got their feedback. We adjusted accordingly. Um, and now it, it feels like it's part of all of our work together for moving forward.
1: Brian, right. let me jump in because I, I, I've yes. seen the outcome of the. So advice I got on board management was this. Um, what we go into boards, volunteers and tell them noses in, fingers out, that's the right posture. But I also tell the Teresa's and her staff of the world, and I say, You get the board you deserve. And if you spend time doing what Teresa just described, you're going to have the board that she's getting. Right. But if you ignore them and you just, oh, God, it becomes this hardship and they become a pain in the ass. Guess what? You get the board you deserve because you didn't spend that time investing in the relationship to build it with that board. So that's that piece of advice I got long ago. It stuck with me forever. And it was actually said in the context of a board of trustees at a university. So when when you're that's a governance body and a very specific role to run a institution, working with a president, that's an important balance to have the governance management, but also to give them the time and attention they need to get what you deserve out of it. So, I
0: also felt personally that part of it was earning some of the you know the respect and and space mm-hmm. right based on having successfully executed programming. I think. It's pretty easy for a new alumni leader to come in, work with the board, and then there would be a healthy dose of dose of skepticism, I suppose, as to Absolutely. whether or not that person is the right person or can get it done or whatever. And I think that I noticed as I began to chalk up some wins, I suppose, that that it became a lot easier to love the board. And I think it became a lot easier for the board to sort of embrace the new things that we were doing, right? Because that was part of it is yeah, we were turning a page. And the page was being turned in a ways that they didn't quite understand. And, and it, so it took some time, I think, to, to yeah. earn
1: that. But in both those, your example and Teresa's example, at the end of it all, and where Teresa is right now, you got the board you deserve because you worked at it. And you spent right. that time. And they was clear on their role and what part they could play. And so I think those are great. Both are great examples. Thank you.
0: So Teresa, more broadly, how are you thinking about growing the volunteer pipeline at Carnegie Mellon? Sort of thinking more broadly in, of volunteer management and leaving sort of specifically the alumni board now. What are you thinking about when it comes to activating the crew of uh, volunteers there, an army of volunteers?
2: So I have to say that I am particularly lucky in this area that we actually have a member of our alumni and constituent engagement team who is her role is, is devoted to just that. So shout out to Tamara Binion, but she's amazing. And she has been doing such great work. And and we kind of start that work that every um, person who shows an interest in volunteering at the university comes through her, you know, and and our colleagues across the university know um, that, that she's happy to meet with folks. She does an individual one-on-ones with anybody who is, is interested in starting that kind of relationship with the university. And in turn, you know, she's built partnerships with folks, um, whether it's in the colleges or whether it's in our career and professional development center, you know, any of those places, she knows where to send people. And she's also hard at work uh, collecting the data back from them to say, who are your key volunteers? How do you work with them? Keeping track of them in our database, so we know who to call on when the moment comes. So, we we are in this journey for sure, and continuing to build on it. But like I say, I'm really lucky that we're we're already focusing on it and working hard at it for sure.
0: That that's great. It's good to have a person dedicated to it, and Absolutely. you know that outreach is such an important part of the you know the work. Is when someone signals their interest. To have someone who's you know ready to to reach out and to bring them in right and to find the right opportunity for them, uh, definitely important. What's something that you would love to try, uh, Teresa? That that you know has been in the back of your brain, or maybe it's now in the front and you're you're working to to build it. Um, what would you love to try in this area?
2: Okay, I, see you said this area. I was so excited to tell you all the Got things. Dark <laughs>
0: Go ahead. That's right.
2: No, I, I I assume this means related to the world of alumni relations. Yeah.
0: I mean, perhaps the world of advancement. Uh,
1: <laughs> sure. Things you may want to try outside Can of work. Can you talk you about know. like hang gliding or? You know, that's
2: yeah. I, I mean, I had a lot of things. Um, Can you save that for the bonus
1: of, segment? <laughs> I don't know.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I could for sure. I mean, one of the things I'll say that I'm, I'll give you a couple. One that I'm very excited about within my current world, so I oversee um, alumni relations, university events, and donor engagement. And so when I came into this role, I already had the two groups and added alumni relations, and um, I was most, one of the things that really energized me was the idea of creating a regional strategy that encompassed all of those things, because we had never had that before as an institution. Mm. Yet, of course, I came in during COVID, so, that really didn't make much sense for a while. So I will say that now that we are coming out of it and really getting back on the road again, um, I'm fully excited about about building that strategy and and working toward um, uh, one that encompasses the bigger, broader events with our president, that the university's events team works on with our college partnerships to see when faculty member are gonna be in different areas, engaging our regional networks and beyond. So I think there's a lot of possibilities there, so.
1: Is volunteer-driven events in that overall picture when you think about? That
2: absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think the thing is now we're all one team so we can connect on these things and, and come together and say, okay, this is when we should be doing this. Wow, this, this area is a little bit light this year. What, how can we engage them even if we're not bringing a big event to their city? Those, those sorts of things I think are so exciting to think
0: about. Yeah, we could, I think we could definitely do a show about regional exactly. engagement. Ooh, I would love that. Right? Because uh, there is so much to talk about in that space. And I think it's one that's really ever changing. Uh, whether or not... uh, So let me ask you, are you working to sort of build or rebuild volunteer boards for your regions? Or are you thinking more about sort of one-off types of volunteer opportunities alumni might have to sort of be event hosts? Or um, there's sort of a spectrum there, right? There's a sort of a full board is one option all the way down to sort of just case-by-case volunteer opportunities.
2: Yep. So right now we're structured with regional networks and many of those have structures within them. You know, somebody leading them could be called a president, could just be kind of a, a volunteer who's leading the charge with, with working with a couple other folks. So we we have some structures in place and I'll say, you know, COVID was tough for a lot of those groups. Some of them we saw fully thriving and hosting events virtually and really thinking creatively and engaging folks. Um, and and some, it just wasn't the right moment, understandably, right? So now as we come out of this, we're definitely looking at um, what it'll mean for, for those regional networks to kind of build back up or those who are thriving, what's the next step for them to continue to engage. So there's a lot of opportunity, I'll say, definitely, as we kind of come back to a more connected world.
0: Yeah. I, I often think about one of the challenges there is, is succession planning. You know, you have a, a really great chapter president for Carnegie Mellon in Boston and they're crushing it, right? Uh, events every quarter. And then all of a sudden they're, they move and it's no it, longer it feels- fits into their life anymore. And all of a sudden the Boston network is dormant for periods of time, right, Absolutely. and potentially long periods of time without sort of a uh, a back backup of, of volunteers. Are you guys thinking about that type of thing, that succession planning?
2: Definitely something that we've had a lot of conversations about, and I think as we come out of this, you know, thinking about that and, and how, our, frankly, how our alumni board, bringing it back for everybody, how our alumni board can support those efforts too. They're really interested and very much engaged in our regional networks. And so we have been um, working with them to develop best practices. Of course, you know, succession planning would be included in that for our um, for our regional networks to provide them with, with some guidelines so that if new leaders come in, they can kind of just pick things right up and keep things moving along. So. De- yeah, definitely something that we're thinking about and excited about um, solidifying even more. We have quarterly meetings um, featuring our alumni association board members where we talk about best practices and, and that sort of thing with, with our network leaders. So definitely building in that area.
1: Tracy, I know we, you and I have talked about this. And one of the things I've seen emerging in other clients is the, the old model. We had 30 or 40 or whatever number of clubs. I've seen them even higher, of course. But mm-hmm. um, there are 10 that are really important, right? Because they're all important, of course, right? All alums are important, I get that. But there are certain cities and regions where we have the highest concentrations of our alums. i remember I never forget Vanderbilt told me the story. They said, we got 40 chapters, we're gonna treat them all well. But what Ryan described happens in 30 of them, we're not gonna worry as much if it happens in these 10 because failure is not an option. We will insert ourselves as the staff to make sure that region continues to be vibrant and doing things we need them to wow. do because we have a large concentration. and. I think it's important to note that sort of a tiering model is something that I think makes a lot of sense.
2: Definitely something that we are thinking about. Yeah,
0: good. and it's also built into an event ba- in-person event-based strategy, right? right. Uh, because uh, largely the output of board regional boards are events, right, which are resource-intensive for your marketing and exactly. And so right. it's it's a it's a sort of a package deal in those cases. But um, plenty of more to discuss on that subject, I'm sure, in the future. For now, Chris, uh, we're bumping up against our, our uh,
1: first half of our show. That went quick, didn't it, Teresa? Oh, <laughs> gosh,
2: wait. I have more things that I want to
0: try.
1: We're going we're to talk about it in our, our our exclusive section coming up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> bonus section coming up. But, uh, Chris, for our live listeners, uh, would you take us away? Who are we
1: uh, featuring in two weeks? Um, large public university called UCLA and the fantastic Julie Sina, Will be our guest then. Um, I've known Julie for ten years now, and did a project with her ten years ago. And from that day on, she's called me the dude, and I have no idea why I why why I earned that title. I think it's a good thing, but we should ask her that question, Ryan. (laughs) The dude, huh? The dude, yeah. She literally writes me emails, dude. I have to. Can we we talk? And (laughs) she's just great. Like Big Lebowski style. Yeah, so, yeah. I mm-hmm. felt like I felt like it was an honor. I don't know why I earned it though. So. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Well, thanks everyone for listening to the live stream, Scott Francis. Thank you for tuning in. Look War forward Eagle, to Scott. You. War Eagle. War Eagle. Actually, Scott and I are going to talk later today. As it turns yeah. out, we have a call on the calendar here about we his new at Auburn, at Auburn University. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to pick up the. Uh, podcast version of alumnus. And of course, be sure to share this version the LinkedIn live show around the interweb so lots of folks can see it. And uh, we'll be back. Uh, well, we got a question for later. Actually, let's let's grab it. Uh, let's read it, Chris, before we hop off and we'll ask, answer Keith's question there in the bonus segment. All right. Bye, everybody. Anyway, so you've now been at Carnegie Mellon for 18 years, uh, but largely in the alumni and donor engagement space, right? Uh, What changes have you noticed in recent years and and how CMU is thinking about integrated advancement strategies?
2: I mean, like like I just referenced, collaboration at, at CMU is kind of built into our DNA, I would say, certainly, and kind of coming together to innovate. But as far as advancement goes, I mean, I think just the formation of my team as it stands right now is a great example of how we're thinking about these things, right? So we've brought together donor engagement, university events, alumni relations, and that that kind of, you know, hints toward the fact that that all of these things are are tied together. I mean, particularly when we think about um, the connections between alumni relations and and donor relations and fundraising. And we really look at it, at, uh, it that way in our team—that it's a partnership. And while you know, sometimes the work that we do leads to donor engagement, it leads to gifts to the university. All of those things. We also have a critical role to play in engaging alums and in, in so many other ways, and bringing them back to the university and and having them be a part of the university in in countless other ways. But but we recognize, right, that all of those things connect and work together. And so that's how we approach it, certainly. And I mean, Chris knows in, in his work um, with us that, you know, even when we're working with the colleges and having the board connect with the colleges, everybody gets it and, yeah. and we act accordingly.
1: Yeah, it, it's a place, Ryan, where you and I have both seen places that are comfortable at the alumni board level having a conversation about fundraising and other places where it's a foreign concept, and they get, you know, a little wiggly about it when you bring up the bring up the phrase. Don't hear that at Carnegie Mount. They're just they get it. They get the integrated model. It's not always about fundraising, but one of the things it's about is fundraising, and they're comfortable with that that notion. And I and I applaud them for it. And I, I think part of it may have. To, I mean, there's people who've been involved for a lot longer, but. Uh, Your boss is somebody I've known for a while. Scott Morey came out of the alumni engagement side at George Washington and then at USC. And then he moved into a campaign role and then he became a VP. And do you think there's anything to do with it? Or what's it like working for somebody who came out of with the roots and the alumni side of things?
2: Yeah. So so I'll even take it a step back further because I, you know, was also overseeing and continue to the university events team as well under Scott's leadership. And um, Scott, the, the the greatest gift is that, that Scott is definitely um, a vice president who understands the value that both events and alumni relations bring to um, not even just university advancement, but to the university as a whole. So um, I'm very lucky to be able to say that I never have to I don't have to make a case for my efforts. They're appreciated. He gets it. And not only that, but in turn, particularly when it comes to alumni relations, he can provide great leadership and advice in that area because he's been there, done that. And, and you know, in turn has a wealth of experience to share related to it, which is great.
0: How Teresa does uh, the donor relations, donor engagement experience layer on top of the alumni engagement experience, and I think that we have a lot of conversations with schools who are sort of thinking, about, we know that's where we need to go, right? We know that it needs to be alumni and donor engagement, and and the systems there need to be connected, and efficiencies need to be maximized, right? And uh, we're often we're sort of called on to sort of take a look at that and say, well, here is how you. Um, reduce your redundancies, right, in some of the operational areas, and bring together that work. Did you see any of that play out with your team as you've sort of assessed alumni and donor engagement together?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredible when it's clicking. It's really clicking, and and we're we're almost in a place where we know it's happening, and we're just working toward formalizing it. So, a couple different examples. Um, we are. Uh, developing an engagement management program whereby it's not just prospect managers right but they're engagement managers as yeah. well and and it it's more than anything meant like I said to solidify the the work that the team is already doing so we work so closely with key volunteers and who might be overlapping that they have a prospect manager and they know that you know but but we're ensuring first of all that you know, the work that the team is doing can be recognized, which for me is, of course, super important. Um, but we're also making sure that w- the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. And in turn, we can kind of build relationships in a stronger way um, in with coordinated efforts, which is really, really exciting. Um, so like yeah, engagement?
0: So- I'm. I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. I mean, so, engagement ahead. managers are they are they co so prospects donors are co assigned an engagement manager or is this a separate segment that you know the alum the engagement manager has to sort of cultivate?
2: So it can be either. You know, yeah. if it if it's somebody who is is not necessarily someone who would be assigned a prospect manager, that's okay. Then you know, but we work with them because they have incredible networks and do incredible things for the university. Right. They're a key mm-hmm. volunteer for us. Absolutely. But it can also be both. And we see that time and again, you know, people, I don't know which comes first sometimes, but people engage uh, um, and they have already been giving because they care about the institution or vice versa. And either path is fine, but, you know, we want to make sure that that we're a part of that experience, knowing how critical
1: it is. Teresa, can I ask you a little detail on this? Because um, Alyssa is going to say, "How do they do this?" Right? Is it at the system level where, where they're coded in your yeah. system as a engagement mm-hmm. manager or, or a secondary versus a primary kind of exactly. thing? Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, we, so we are using um, we're, we have Salesforce and uh, and we are using that to to start tracking these relationships in just that way. So that's
1: great. But, yeah. so what are the outreach
0: goals, appointment goals as, as well? Are or-
2: yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, so we're, this is all to say friends that we're building. We're not, you know, certainly not perfect. Everyone's
1: going to call yeah. you. say, so how do you, how'd you do it? What, I
2: know, do you I know. For? <laughs> but wait, but wait, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're working on building up the team for sure, Chris. So when we do, I think we'll make leaps and bounds of, of uh, progress, but yeah. So, so um, there would be a certain number of um, connections throughout the year for us that's that's not really a tough thing to to do because when you think about how many times for instance if I'm assigned the alumni board I've I've got that covered right. certainly um it's more though i think the challenge is going to be actually putting it into action so the making those connections are not an issue ever it's more about just documenting those connections i was just
1: going to ask you about I loved Ryan's question um, about, you know, a goal around visits. But the other thing we hear all the time is, do alumni affairs, alumni relations, alumni engagement officers fill out call reports? Yeah. And the answer is usually no. I mean, that's what we hear vet most of the time out there. And you're describing a system that depends on that happening, right? That's a whole exactly. shift in culture. And behavior. Exactly.
2: It's a full shift in culture. And, you know, it's going to take time. And we recognized when we started this. Um, love it though kudos to lauren henry in chicago but she worked so hard to to start this process and we'll we'll continue the great work that she did certainly but um yeah,
0: yeah. it seems to be like a sort of fundamental pillar of an integrated advancement model is the engagement team is logging contact reports because that's also sort of the language of development right that's sort of the the measurements for development. And if you're thinking about an integrated model, then like it makes all the sense in the world to to try to be thinking about the connective tissue between those things. So it's uh but I'm but then when you're event planners, right, and you've you've done an event and you've maybe you've attended the event and you've you need to have a goal as an engagement professional, you need to file five contact reports, right, after that event right? As part of your your work and, and sort of reinforce. And how do you do that as the leader sort of reinforcing, uh, you know, that sort of goal every week or month or whatever?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely will require for us, I think, putting some, some systems in place um, for folks and making it as easy as we can. And hopefully, in turn, um, the place that I hope to get to is where we can do a little bit of bragging, you know, here look at what we've done this year. It's a great way to, uh, so many people in alumni relations now are talking about what are our metrics and how are we tracking the success of the team and how do we know? And again, I've, I've shared with you that I'm in a great place where our work is already supported and understood, but, you know, it, it's for the sake of of understanding the progress that we're making, it's, it's a great way to do it once we can get things implemented.
1: We started off talking about um, alumni boards and we we could, these, these conversations go everywhere. But the, one of the things that I found is that the importance of having clear focus and priorities, and you've done that, you have three, how do, how do we connect alumni to each other, alumni to the institution and alumni to the school, to students, alumni to students, alumni, 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 alumni to the, school, to the university. And, and that makes it clear for what you're doing and it allows you space to do going back to what we just were talking about the kind of work that required afterwards, the follow-up that needs to happen with call reports, for example. One of the things, Tracy, you and I talked about, um, I, I have these five questions I always tell clients. So you gotta ask these five questions. Does it align with the strategic plan? What's the desired outcome? Who's the target audience? And I think as an industry, we are okay at that. The fourth one, I don't think we do very well, which is who, who do we need to collaborate with? And Carnegie Mellon does it very well in this category. So the fourth question you guys have done well, The fifth one we usually don't get to, which is what's the plan follow-up strategy? Because they're so busy going to the next thing, they don't have time to do what we just were talking about. So building space for that and and, and changing your behaviors and culture is going to be critical for that last part to happen.
0: Because you have to be able to say, right, it is more important to file the contact reports from that last event and, and do the cleanup from that last event than it is to put on the next one, the next event right i mean if you you can't you can't have both with the same amount of staff right it's it's one of those tricky areas that and are we willing to sacrifice registrations for an event in order to be more integrated uh with a more integrated part of an advancement team right we agree have- or disagree or- <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean i i agree and and it's it's funny that you say that because i put my university events hat on and that's it took us a while to evolve to to the space, but but follow up is now built into our every process. So it doesn't feel like I'm sure there was a time many 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 years ago when we would have been like, oh, what are we sending an email to the people who came? Are we sending an email to the people who didn't come? What are how are we following up with the VIPs? Now it's just a built in plan and part of the conversation Love it. from Love the start. It. Yeah. So I hope. Uh, you know what you're talking about, Ryan. I hope that 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 it will be a, one of our next steps. You know that it's just built into our approach. Yeah. It will be an exciting day.
1: It's good discipline. Does your staff have they've embraced this early part of the conversation? Are we headed in a way where you're going to have you think support or? Maybe pulling teeth, or a little of all of the above, maybe.
2: <laughs> I mean, we we had some great trainings, some great conversations throughout the year, and and as you know, we kind of like paused a little bit, working on building up leadership on the alumni relations right. side. I, I I think there's no arguments against it. I think it's just as everybody's going through right now. It's it's time. It's just finding the time. Um to build this into your process. Once it's built in, I think we'll be fine, but, you know, it do, it is, we have to be cognizant of the fact that it's been a rough couple of years for, for folks on so many different levels. And so, you know, respecting that, you just have to respect that it's going to take some, some time to ease in.
1: Yeah.
0: We, we promised ourselves before we, um, Ended the bonus section, we'd we'd go back and we'd answer the question that one of our listeners asked in the the first part, which, to paraphrase, was essentially about removing problematic board members from boards or councils, you know, uh, in order to sort of move the board into the right direction. Uh, What what did you guys think about sort of the challenging board members and what to do about it?
2: I mean, here, here's what I would say about that. Um it goes back to what we talked about related to people being everybody being different and having different motivations and being in different places. So I I'm hard pressed to use the word problematic, but more inclined to say that there are of course times when when people have committed to something and maybe it's not the direction that they're looking for. I mean, that happens in all aspects of life. Or maybe um, they committed to it and then their priorities have changed. Again, happens to a lot of us. So I I think in some ways it's it's, um, a need to be really cognizant of that and patient with that and understanding about it and to give people the space and a chance to either think about whether they want to align with how you're moving forward and 100% to give them that opportunity. Or sometimes it's really just providing the, them the opportunity to say, you know, this isn't for me. And you say, that's okay. But I think you have to put those efforts in first to really understand what, what's at the root of um, of the problem. I've worked with with far too many amazing volunteers who at, at first glance you would think oh this is exhausting this is and then you get to the heart of it and wow these are amazing human beings who just really want the best for the institution so that's why yeah. um you always glasses half full approach but I truly believe it
1: I love that about you though and and I think that's the exact right first step my guess is the question Keith asked in the thing was that they've taken four or five steps and they still have a curmudgeon <laughs> who's not changing and so, so my next my, my next building on yours, Teresa, I would just say the next thing to do is to have a conversation with that person, but volunteer to volunteer. I would not be the staff person unless it was agreed, this, but otherwise have your board chair, your board president approach that person and say, hey, listen, what's, you know, probe further and what's going on, what's beneath the, the problems that are being created. And, and then if it goes it still doesn't change by that point, there's a two word answer and it's term limits. Um, You should have best practice for any board governance is to have term limits. And I always think a two-year term with a renewable second term, so two and two, four years total, but the renewal is an automatic. So if you have someone who's a problem child, you can get rid of them in two years just by term limits. But usually those staff conversations that Teresa described and the board volunteer-to-volunteer conversation uh, will get you there. But otherwise, it's time to move that person off the board at the end of the day. Yeah.
0: There's sort of a natural flow of things that take place over time, right? Yep. Like you sort of get, as an alumni leader, you, you sort of hope to get some more of your people, right, onto the board as, and the, or sort of new vision people, right? People that are aligned with the new engagement activities that you've created or your team has brought in and, a history of engagement activity with with those programs, right? And I often think that one of the most important aspects of a board is uh, to not put someone on the board who doesn't have a history of engagement with the university. I think because sometimes there is uh, not that many volunteer opportunities that are formally created, we tend to use our boards as entry points. But unfortunately, what happens is you get people on the board who don't necessarily understand how to be a really great, engaged alum. And they sort of hang out on the board, um, you know, not really knowing how to be a great board member uh, for that reason. What do you guys what do you guys think about the idea of the people who go on our alumni boards should be those who are have lots of evidence of engagement in their histories? I-
2: I get a little stuck on this one. I will say, um, I, I, I come at this from some different angles. Right there, we have amazing volunteers who join our board who are known quantities, and we—I mean, I could name ten of them right now who come. Up, they've worked closely with the networks. They—they're doing great things. Um, in in other ways for the institution, they come on easy peasy. I do think, however, that there are great individuals out there who, as a result of their career or maybe personal circumstances, um have not had the opportunity to come in from like and work their way from the bottom up. Um, and in some cases, it's really a, a DEI perspective, right? That you know, there there could be. Um, people who have families and they're taking care of their kids. And, you know, then they reach a point in their life where they're ready to come in, but they're accomplished in their careers, all of these things. I want those, they have amazing networks. I want those people on the board. I would welcome them with, with open arms. You know, they have the skills, they've proven themselves in all different aspects, they love their university, and it just hasn't been the right time for them yet. So I'm I, I I'm a little bit on the fence on that one.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the future there at Carnegie Mellon. What uh, what are some things that you're hoping to try, right? Uh, what initiatives are you most excited about?
2: I have to think about what we haven't covered.
0: That's true. Okay. We have, we have um, covered volu- regional volunteer uh, growth. Yep. You have a network platform there, right? Uh, a graduate or a people grove. Is that part of your sort you of do. overall you- uh, strategy for volunteer pipeline development?
2: we just started people grove tamara actually who i referenced earlier she's she's the lead for that one kind of building you know those connections again for for our alums who are really excited to connect with our students so yeah um i mean when i think about dreaming big i like the big answer is i just want us to be a gold standard alumni relations program i want us to be the best at all of it so i mean
0: how will like, you know uh, how will you know when you're the best
2: I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of things. I think it's when we see our community being engaged in multiple ways in the ways in which they want to be engaged. I think it's going to be when people are coming to us constantly saying, how did you do that? I mean, we all know those places, right, that have certain signature programs or signature things that we all go to and say, can we meet with you and understand how you do it? That for me I want people to be coming to us constantly saying, how are you doing all these amazing things and engaging your alums in all of these great ways. That's my
0: hope. Yeah. Great. That's fantastic. Chris, uh, any sort of final thoughts for today's show before we wrap things up?
1: Uh, we've talked about a lot and this was really a lot of fun, Tracy, hearing you talk about, it. I love your final statement there about being the best as, as a former competitive athlete, um, you know, there's, there's something to it about wanting to be in that category. And I, I agree with you. And and one of the measurements is going to be when people start asking you how you do it um, is, is, a, is, the, is the best compliment you could get. So anything I love about our industry, Teresa, as you know, you're part of a group called Pequod, Private College University Alumni Directors. If you have a question on a topic or an idea that you're you know playing around with, you can send out to the listserv that question, you'll get forty responses within twenty-four hours of how someone else has thought about it, and it's a great sharing and learning environment back and forth in our industry. So I love that part of it. When
0: we typically wrap things up, the last question of the show, Teresa, by asking about your inspiration and uh, the inspiration of our other guests on the show, you know, maybe Pequod is is one of those points of inspiration, but um, do you have others where you get your energy and excitement for the field?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is an easy one for me this semester because I um, started uh, teaching this semester. And so I'm teaching a course um, to undergrads, juniors and seniors in leadership development in our College of Humanities and Social Sciences. So every Tuesday and Thursday when I see them in class and every Sunday when I read um, the their amazing assignments that they're turning in, I need no more inspiration than that. Mm. Um, I'm really lucky in that I now have this opportunity to kind of have a, a hands-on, this is why we're doing what we're doing experience and a reminder of that constantly now. So it's uh, that's where I'm definitely getting all of my energy and inspiration from this semester. It, it's an amazing experience, and I couldn't be prouder of you know, CMU and and our students, it's it's really, it's really just gratifying to be part of, of an institution that has students like this for sure.
1: I love that you're doing it. That's such a great I love
2: it
0: too. Yeah. Getting in front of the classroom uh, is, is is fantastic. It, it really gets you sort of grounded in what's important and uh, all those voices yeah. and
1: personalities. you bring an alumni ever to speak to the class?
2: one uh we actually bring in guest speakers once a week and so some of our alums definitely Love come it. in and speak Love to the it. class and it's it's amazing yeah
0: well that's fantastic well let's leave it right there that's a perfect place to end on for uh this week's edition of alumnus teresa trombetta assistant vice president alumni and constituent engagement at carnegie mellon it was great to have you uh chris marshall great to see you as always sir have a great time at the. Uh, the wedding you're headed off to. And for those of you who are listening, thanks for making time for alumnus. We'll be back in your feed uh, in a couple of weeks uh, with Julie Sina from UCLA. Bye now.